0: That you didn't love me anymore, and I'm not wrong. Hello, Scotty. Well,
1: yes, you are, (laughs) because it was you who had gone as you went off around the
0: world and left me crying. (laughs) Oh, my God. Scotty, this is what happens. Have you noticed that the world is in a world of hurt? This is what happens when we stop podcasting, so we need to get back to it so that the, the world can spin back a little bit less out of control.
1: Every Wednesday, John, I've been sat here with my headphones on, my microphone ready, and you just didn't call? I think that's something I would say. <laughs> not that I would do it. <laughs> something... And why? Because you were swanning off with your friends in Athens, or you were in Paris, or you were in wherever it was, Be
0: and I just thought, well, yeah, I'm, I'm obviously just not on his list of loved ones. Um, it is true that I was uh, out and about in the, in the world. It's not true that you're not among my loved ones. Um... <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to since you've abandoned uh, me oh, and uh, our our, les- our listener uh, who have been sat here waiting for you to finish your
0: little jolly, <laughs> little jolly. Well, it's true. So I did go to um, I did go to Athens to uh, participate in a bunch of events celebrating, you know, marking the tenth anniversary of Orange Grove. Uh, I think I'd mentioned it beforehand in the last show, but I can tell you a little bit about what the event was like and what it was like to, to, to meet up and kind of look back. I did stop off in Paris because that's where my sister lives. And actually, the ambassador, Jan Versteg, who is the Dutch ambassador uh, currently to, to France, but at the time when Orange Grove started, it was his idea, you know, it um uh, where it certainly, it was his project at the embassy. I don't know whether it was solely his idea. I mean, there, there were you know a couple other people that were there from the very very early days, but it was his brainchild. Um, and I actually went to visit him in the in the in the Dutch embassy in in Paris, and that was its own fun uh, because, of course, you can bike there, and the the biking infrastructure in Paris is is. is just keeps getting better and better, much to the consternation of some people, but uh, certainly to the happiness, to my happiness. And that's, of course, what matters. But I thought it was nice that I could just like show up at the Dutch embassy and, and ask for him by first name. It's like, hey, I'm here to see Jan. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, great, <laughs> we'll go get him. And and I think that's lovely. But, you know, I think the 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 point was, is that uh, before I left, um, you know, I would say, hey, I'm going off to, to Athens. Oh, really? Why are you going? And I have to basically try and un- unreal the story in, in little tiny bite-sized chunks to see if people were still interested. Um, but what I found interesting this time around, is I didn't really have to explain as much as I had in prior years. Um, and partly that's because there was this great article in New York Times a couple days before I left that basically said that, you know, looking back at Greece 10 years ago and the height of the of uh, the crisis uh, when they had defaulted on their, their government debt, um you know things were very grim there was a huge brain drain and you know tourism was way down there were capital controls it was just not a good not a good happy scene um and in the 10 years since uh this past year they've had if anything they've they've kind of have a a problem of too much tourism like so many people going there um, which is really good for taxi drivers and hotels and restaurants and so on and so forth. But in places like Mykonos, one of the most popular islands, they have so many people going there, it's kind of environmentally getting to be pretty destructive. Um, but also, I just noticed that the the city of Athens itself is a lot more cosmopolitan, kind of in the way that Paris is. You know, Paris used to be very, very distinctly French. Now, if you look at the bars, the restaurants, the clubs, and so on and so forth, they're much more global in nature. Um, and English is, is is much more widely spoken in English, and, sp- and particularly kind of, you know, um, uh, kind of Silicon Valley terms or, you know, business terms are just so part of the language. And so what I see there in, in, in Paris, I've noticed that in the couple, last couple of years, you really see that in Athens, you get the sense that there is a large population of of people who are choosing to move there to work remotely or to work for for companies there um, and choosing it for the lifestyle, but also, you know, because because they can. They can maybe have a, a nicer lifestyle there as a software engineer uh, just because the cost of living is, is so much less and it's different and it's sunny and so on and so forth. So it's, it's, you know, in terms of the number of startups and the types of activities they're doing and let's say the startup mindset it's a it's a wide world of difference um and i find that all very very encouraging um so the the actual event i attended was a kind of a, an all afternoon thing uh at this theater and it was basically four panel discussions one of which i was on one of which i led um interspersed starting with with remarks by a a greek minister who (laughs) unlike other ministers that i'd seen that go there and and speak very very long time and and kind of don't get to the point this one was very crisp he's very known as kind of has done a lot of digital transformation in greece kind of amazing uh then the ambassador spoke the the head of the the embassy spoke uh, and, and, uh, there was a first panel discussion kind of looking back the last 10 years and looking forward saying kind of what, what has worked, what could be done to improve what do we look for in the next 10 years. Um, and then the final panel, which was on AI in all its aspects, that's the one that I, I chaired. Um, and that was kind of fun uh, for lots of reasons, because it's an interesting topic. Uh, but I could talk about that in specific, but I think I should take a breath for a second and let us catch up here and let you say, thanks, John. I don't want to hear about that anymore. I've got this to say instead.
1: No, no, no. I I think, you know, that you've given us the the context of, of why you were there and reminded people because not everyone's been around for the, you know, <laughs> the 10 years yeah and i think you yeah we spoke about when orange grove first started uh, and when you were visiting there so that that's that's good so um yeah let's let's dig in a little deeper so okay. let's i guess let's start with let's start with the panels and, and what went on in the panels and anything interesting to come out of that and then maybe a little bit more about you know, how you know technologi- technology wise what you think you know orange grove has achieved or not achieved hit mm-hmm. the mark not hit the mark over the last
0: decade Okay, well, I mean, like in in terms of of the scene there in particular, you know, you 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 know, you're familiar with Amsterdam. We talked about it a long time, and and let's just use that as an example of a let's call it a startup or a development scene um, that's outside Silicon Valley. And there are lots of great things about Silicon Valley that we all kind of enjoy about the the ability to, to innovate, to make lots of mistakes, to 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 take risks. And if you make a if your your project fails, not a problem. It's not considered a bleak mark, you know. If, if anything, it's considered a badge of courage. You're expected to fail many times so that you can you can then succeed. But even though the vast majority of startups fail. Over time, the vast majority of people who partake in them do succeed in one way or another, either in, in in hitting it with a startup that turns into a sustainable business, or by going to work with with a larger company where they find people who have worked in startups have a much more agile mindset. They can get things done, they're not afraid of ambiguity, so on and so forth. And I think in the case of Greece, you know, if, if, if people think, you know, a country like the, the, the Netherlands is adverse to risk, which it it, it kind of really isn't, you know, Germany is probably a better example, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you would just, if you ever risked, you know, building a business and you failed, you were really kind of, (laughs) there's a certain amount of shame and even kind of preventing you from ever trying again. Now that's all changed. In Greece, it's quite the quite the same. You know, the, the, the hallmark for, for dream for, for a parent is for their kids to kind of become a lawyer, or become a professor, or work for the state, work for a university, you know, have these steady long-term gigs. So the idea of, of, of your kid coming home and saying, hey, I want to try a new startup to bring, you know, electric scooters and bikes to, to, to Athens. They were like, holy fuck, what, what are you doing? Why are you throwing your life away? That really has changed over the last couple of years. Um, and what I see is that, you know, Greece, as a market is not, not nearly large enough for it to attract the type of investment that exists in Silicon Valley, where this idea is like, we're going to start something here. And if it takes off, it's going to be this huge success because it's such a big market. Now, granted, Greece being part of the EU, you know, the EU is, is, is a major market, but the types of investment, the types of activities are much less around, let's find some, you know, kind of unicorn company with a hockey stick growth path and we're all going to get rich and everything feels like a big casino thing, the types of funds and the types of investments are taking are combinations of like European investment funds where they say startups are a reality. This is what the, 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 you know, this is what university graduates are wanting to do. They want to try do different things. They want to take risks. So we better, you know provide some type of funding and capability for this to happen. Otherwise, everybody's going to go to the United States. So the European Union and lots of different forms and even kind of, you know, private Private philanthropy has said we're going to put together some money and we're going to put some small funds we'll 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 put some 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 cards on the table and see what we can do to help kids and I think that that is largely starting to pan out, and that you know there are some there are a few startups that are still alive and actually doing quite well from back when I first started, one of which is called Clio Muse, which is a beautiful app it's kind of a self guided uh walking tour. Uh, that goes on your phone and that's how they got started and they they found kind of product market fit by saying it's not just the single walking tour it's the experience somebody comes to Athens or somebody comes to a city because they've expanded to, to many many other cities around the world and they combine it with with basically one-stop shop so you can get a no wait in line tour of the Acropolis where you have your your audio guide but you can get in right away and they can reach those customers directly and they have you know, through tour operators or hotels, they have all these different partnerships. So it's less a technical problem that they've, they've they've had in getting to product market fit, but a marketing and and business development thing, and they've done really well. And their company now is kind of, you know, I think 40-some people. They're profitable. They're sustainable. I got a chance to spend time with them and look at, at their company culture and how they interact with each other and how you know, how long the people who are there have been there and whether or not they have difficulty in attracting people and whether or not they can afford to pay people, you know, a sustainable wage. And the answer is, like, they're doing well on all those fronts. So to me, that's a great example of a company that kind of has done it right and, and you can imagine scaling that type of thing very well. So nobody's trying to create, you know, you know pets.com for, for, for Greece. Um, But lots of these different small and medium enterprises, which in the fact are the most sustainable, resilient parts of any economy. So, um, and so that I think is very good. Now, what I would like to do is transition a little bit to some of the, the talk on AI, because I think that's relevant. So, you know, people have talked about it a lot. I don't need to rehash. There was a kind of initial introduction that I gave about it, kind of what the hype versus reality, but I really wanted to turn it back to the panelist and the panelists consisted of, you know, a software engineering company, you know, who has a company called Code for Thought, A a, a fellow named Robin, who is the founder, is this Dutch software engineer, started at 16, you know, built a company up that that created what was the kind of first eBay for for Holland and then sold it to eBay and did quite well with it at a rather young age. Now he came in and wanted to replicate it in Greece with a a marketplace called Vendora, kind of that updates the concept and is is doing really well. Then there was a representative from Microsoft um, uh, named uh, uh, Paulin, and She's kind of head of of, of uh you know the, she's like kind of like the the CIO of, of of Microsoft for for that region, and so she talked extensively about all the investments Microsoft has made and what AI means for her for her. Uh, you know, and her customers. And then there was a fellow uh, 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 named John as well, um, who has a company called Travel Myth. So there was a mixture of kind of like industry and entrepreneurs, and and then then me. But the main point that I got out of out of the panel's discussion is that the tools that I had said at the beginning is like you know AI in some ways is kind of like Coca Cola in the extent, in the sense of Andy Warhol is famous for having said, the great thing about a Coke is that, you know, you drink Coke, the president drinks Coke. The president can't possibly have a better Coke than you. And it's kind of like that with, with AI. It's like, you know, all these tools that are out there, um, for the most part, they're available in in the in, at a scalable price point in the way that Amazon Web Services always had. So you're starting up you can get access to the same tools that, that anyone else does. And I've looked at the way some of these small companies have used it. So, for example, Vendora, you know, they have a problem with fraud, and so, they, so he said that basically from the from from within the time that they OpenAI open AI made APIs available, they were able to basically say, this is what we know in a chat conversation between buyer and seller is likely to, to mean fraud. And they trained a, a model on that, and they said within two weeks, fraud essentially went to zero. That is really amazing because it allows for trust, and that means that people will do more transactions and the more kind of goods that are, are reused, sold back and forth, rather than people going out. And buying a new you know dining room table or tv if people find one that's used and and pass it along that's good for the environment it's good and sustainable then he said you know the next thing they looked in and say look we want to expand so we're expanding to bulgaria and i don't speak a word of bulgarian and many of the the many of the customers they don't necessarily but having a larger marketplace is is really good and because of the ability to to have on demand machine translation which actually works means that they never could have imagined to be able to expand like that so I, I could give many many more examples but that is one that i thought was really good because it says that here you have a market opportunity that people who, who who can come find an opportunity if they're from not Greek and they can come and build a company that that brings Greeks and other Europeans together. They can have a nice life there. They can be successful and they can be sustainable. So by by all those measures, I was just just thoroughly impressed. Plus, I I, I love going there. I have people that I've come to to grow very 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 close with over the years. So now I will be quiet for a little bit more.
1: No, that's it, it, yeah. That's really interesting and exciting, and I think, you know, for, particularly for long-term listeners, of which we have quite a few of people who've been with us for the the entire time we've been recording that, you know, just haven't quite worked out how to stop us coming into their feed yet. Um, they they uh, uh, yeah, be interested. Uh, yeah, so no, so in to turn it on. Yeah, it's, yeah. For people who don't understand RSS and unsubscription, uh, oh. they'd be quite interested to hear how I mean, it's been going over the last ten years. And for those who don't, they've uh, discovered something new. They've Discovered something new. So, I mean, you've been so you've been traveling, uh, yeah, around all the time. So, yep, you know, it's just been a, you know. A working nomad trip where you just yes. keep going while doing it, or and yeah, you know, and
0: how has that worked for you, or has it a, been a vacation trip? No, it hasn't been a vacation, and it has been. I, I have been, you know, to, in order to make it work, I've had to to kind of time shift and time slice like crazy, which which can work, and sometimes it can lead to really good results. I mean, sometimes I really find that just the act of being out of my my you know normal routine. I find that that, that I find certain levels of inspiration that helps me solve some problems and also find pockets of time, one hour, two hour, three hours, and it could end up being at like three in the morning where I am because I'm jet lagged, but it's at such a time where, you know, there's no chance of there being meetings or interruptions. So I've really gotten to the flow of I will do some, you know, a lot of work. And then I'll package it up with a nice screen movie and and a, and a detailed message on Slack saying, hey, this is what I've done. And, you know, let's have the discussion in the thread and I can attend a couple of meetings. And I basically said that that I was going to be, you know, nine and ten hours away that I wouldn't be able to attend all the meetings. But I would attend certainly the ones that were in the mornings and some of the ones that were super critical because they were direct, you know, like like engineering you know, meetings on, on the projects I'm working on. And I found that it worked out. And I think that my work, I, I wouldn't even say, oh, no, it didn't suffer. I actually think uh, it, it was a net benefit because the other thing is like traveling, at least for the type of project I'm working on now, which is really depends on, on the sensitivities of, of and proclivities of different type of Wi-Fi and cell networks. And and uh, it's it's always good to be able to try your software out in in conditions like like your customers are going to see. So I was at an Airbnb in in, in Athens, and they had you know I'm embarrassed to say, but it had kind of a really slow DSL connection. That's partly because in in some places is not you know it. it, it you can get super fast fiber connections but not everywhere and in older buildings they may not have you know have been served with it so you're you're either you know using tethered uh, mobile which can be quite good or you're using old wireline and and you know, I'm amazed at how, how well, for instance, the next TV app, and that's because of of this thing called Open Connect, and it, and it works. But just by being able to to be in those slower, slower environments, I was absolutely able to uncover some issues and get fixes for them that I, I know I wouldn't have been able to as easily see, you know, it, 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 when you're working in the office or working at home and you have, a, you know, a, a stable high-speed environment or at least a stable environment that you get used to, Working as a software engineer in a different environment absolutely sensitizes you to things that you might not regularly and easily see. So from that perspective, I think it was very good. Um, uh, in terms of some of the things that, that, that I've been looking at, um, you know, keep going keeping going with, with Swift SwiftUI uh, because we're, there's a strong movement to, to try and find ways for us to, to build a, a, uh, an easier bridge for us to be able to build reusable components in Swift. Uh, in Swift UI and and basically make them available as UI view you know th- with wrappers for them and take that approach. so we don't have to migrate everything, but um, that's been a, a really interesting effort i've I've seen. Um, and just uh, just before getting on the phone here, I was looking at some RTL issues with Swift UI views and trying to find the easiest ways of overriding the the, the layout direction. Um, so that's in, in a long word of saying yes i've I've kept up with my my regular Netflix work. Hadn't been easy, but I, I have managed to do it. Cool, cool. That's uh,
1: yeah. It is one of the uh, the the great benefits of the things we do, though, isn't it? That I mean, yes, we you know, might have to work some awkward hours or do whatever else, but you know, effectively, laptop and internet connection most of the time, you know, uh, you know, probably a VPN. You know, we can we can do our work, and that's um, yeah, you know, it's good when we take advantage of that.
0: Yeah. Um
1: well I haven't been anywhere, John. I've just been sat here longing for um for <laughs> you really, <laughs> if I'm totally honest. <laughs>
0: um
1: uh, now I'm uh we're um moving on in the next phase of uh uh of Moneywell. Um our next major thing to release is is online banking. Uh so when Moneywell was first released back in oh I don't know, however whatever it years, just just before the dinosaurs um, you know uh, the the connections for getting you know uh, if you wanted to automatically get the transactions from your bank account were done through direct connect um, or direct connection which has only ever been an American thing it's never been in Europe or, or whatever uh, but even in the US is now sort of basically dying it's being killed off more and more banks are just saying we don't support this um and so obviously we've 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 been having to say, well, firstly the direct connection experience is pretty poor anyway. Um and it does rely on every bank implementing it in their own way, um, which becomes a complete pain in the backside. Uh and and so but more and more are now moving to open banking standards, which effectively means you know, they all subscribe to, you know, the they all allow big middleman I don't know if they're big, but, you know, middleman vendors to access them and then they expect the rest of the world to access the middleman vendors. Um, you know, it means you only need to do one set of security, one set of validations and whatever else. And then you can access all banks or whatever it might be that have signed up because it's you know, a one way house. But, of course, just like everything in the world of banking, a lot of this stuff is set up for, you know, bigger organizations and so when you want to get access to online banking for these middle people you have to say what is your policy on this and where can we see your policy on that and what about your policy on this and the reality is lots of companies our size three people or individuals for Indies. you don't have a you know customer data safety policy for Thursday afternoons if it's raining and there are three yaks in the street or whatever your detail is is needed so um well, technologically, implementing this stuff is pretty simple. It's, you know, uh, business-wise, it's quite challenging. And and I think, you know, there are a number of our competitors who are similar-sized companies have managed to implement some of this, so we do know it is possible. Um, but yeah, so basically I've been working on, on that. So it's been a mixture of um uh, a lot of us been trying to work out which policies we need and which it's very boring. So then I say, well now I'm gonna start writing it and I'll do the code and we'll worry about the policies later. So really it's um kicking kicking the hard stuff down the road in order to do something that's fun with <laughs> with with code. So it sounds like I'm up being a proper
0: indie developer again. <laughs> yeah. Um Speaking of proper indie developers, can I give a shout out to somebody whose name I don't know? I can only look by his his handle or their handle, um, because remember when we last spoke, I was I was uh, really brutally disappointed in Splice not being able to recreate uh, the project files when you switched phone, uh, and so somebody with yep. the account Warning Z iOS app. Do you know this person?
1: I I don't recognise that handle off the top of my head. Okay, it could find it someone I know really well, or my Whether mother, or something. You I don't know. know but big, well,
0: for 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 one thing, first of all, you know they're in in the UK. So, and I, last time I checked, you are as yeah. well. So you should know them. And they're you know uh, of course I know because I know every enough. person. I'm, I'm willing to be every person to, to... in the UK, don't I? <laughs> well, so, okay. um, how about everybody in Shropshire, Shropshire, Shropshire? That's ne- that's next uh, to East Bollockshire, isn't
1: it? Shropshire is not quite next to East Bollockshire. It's a couple up, but it's, um, you yeah, know, it's, it's... It's a sure, It's it's a shire, even, <laughs> if you want to pronounce <laughs> <that> it correctly, <laughs> American. Um, <laughs> but... All right, well, anyway, forget it. I'm not going yeah, yeah, to... Believe- yeah, I mean, you have just been the atypical American there, that basically, <laughs> surely you live in a small country, you know everyone. Yeah. Oh, I went to England once. Do you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. this person named Elizabeth.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my word. A- anyway, right, warnings, well, um, the C- stuff, iOS app. No, I I don't know who that is. I'm, I mean, I okay. don't I don't recognise the handlers. What I'm saying, it could okay, be I, well, I know them from a it, conference or something, but I don't know the you know. There's, there's no name attached. It, it, to it.
0: It doesn't matter because the substance of what was said is really uh, very helpful. So he says, pH asset IDs are unique to the device. I have the same issue with the Photosync engine of my app. I get it around it by using a search based on larking and timestamp. But worse still, the timestamps for unedited photos are to the millisecond. But for edited photos are rounded to the second. Cannot understand why Apple cannot use a static UUID. So um, I, I, I saw that and I said, I, wow, I can't believe that. Um, And I I kind of haven't looked into it further. It's like, I still can't believe it because what what is a UUID? Why would they have to regenerate UUIDs after the fact? But I I take it for, I I absolutely believe him. And it kind of makes me, you know, feel somewhat bad about having in my mind said that uh, Splice are terrible human beings. Or the makers of splice rather. So I'll keep pulling on that because I, I can't believe that there's not some other solution on it. That just basically means that there's no way for anybody to have durable connections to assets, which are controlled by, by Apple's photo library, which is kind of central to, to, to how people use their phones. So, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. That makes me wonder how does like iPhoto do it or something, but you know, iMovie or, or any of the authoring tools. Um, I haven't, truth be told, I haven't looked, um, but there, I I can't believe there's not some 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 uh way of doing this. So I guess what I'm saying is is thank you, warning Z IOS app, uh, for furthering the conversation. Let's keep going and see if we can uh help solve this little.
1: Well I've written it down. It's either gonna be Sean Marston or Jonathan Price. It's one of those
0: okay. two. Um, yeah, okay So there we are. It's uh, Well yeah. in either case, I thank the listener. Um and uh, what else is I going to say? Oh, I also, I had, you know, I noticed that uh, uh, I had a, a, a very pleasant uh, happy birthday message from our favorite, your favorite nemesis, Georg, um, who was a little bit miffed that I didn't tell him that I was in Athens, because I guess it is a hop, skip and a jump from, from Sofia, where I, I believe that's where he is now, unless he's uh, in Amsterdam. I, I know he goes back and forth or has gone back and forth. But hello, Georg, and thank you for the, for the, for the shout out well there we are i mean
1: john's personal communication podcast is doing well this week <laughs> well gosh Scotty, I mean, we do have things like email and telephones and and you know x and uh whatever if you really wish to uh, thank all these people but other than that just feel free is there anybody else do you want do you want to do your um online grocery shop and we'll just hope that they're listening
0: no but <laughs> actually i was going to say scotty if you'd like to take my order for 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 lunch you know um if you can want to pop down to wherever you go but I I actually still like prêt à manger so if you want to get me a nice sandwich that would be nice.
1: Where I go for lunch, John, is usually my kitchen. Oh. Where I normally eat for lunch whatever didn't get eaten from the meal the night before. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or uh, yeah, there we are. It, it, all the dog's food, one or the other. <laughs> mm. It's uh, in there. So uh, you're back in the US now. You've got anything, any sort of like like tech stuff you can talk about, or is it really uh, still all super secret? Um,
0: it's still super secret. It hasn't okay. been released That's yet. Yeah, I mean, I I will say that you know that, that uh, sometimes in long projects, you basically then you, you may decide that. Some things may need, may, you know, you get to a point where you develop something brand new and you have to decide, is this complete enough or, you know, to be able to, to put out there um, or do you need to to, to to put some more work into it to kind of do some other work and, and consider who you're targeting? And this project that I'm working on now, part of the consideration comes in. is like, do we target people who are brand new to the, the app? you know, to the, the mobile apps, or do we target people who already use the, have the mobile apps but may not have used it in this new way that becomes possible? And, you know, part of the issue of dealing with people who are brand new to an app is if you say, like if you've seen in the world, you have QR codes, right, and say, so like, download this app and do this experience. Um, and that's a very effective way. You know, you see QR codes everywhere, but the the experience for for downloading the app and then setting some context for the app is sometimes critically important it's not 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 enough just to download the app but you need to either, either get them you know authenticated or get them to a certain part of the app and that is kind of a key technical underpinning to, to something I've been working on um, and so that's independent of, of exactly what I'm working on but I can talk briefly about that is that you know there, there is a problem, especially with a cross-platform environment. Saying, "Well, what URL do you give?" You know, and and if they haven't installed the app, kind of do you depend on the various app-specific, you know, the, sorry, platform-specific banners? If you really, you're not advertising a website that actually has an app, but really, you know, saying that you need to get the app installed. You know, what we do is is we have a URL app.netflix.com, which initialize initially can kind of separate people between Android and iOS, because if we say get our app we have to cover both platforms and then if you you know our urls are deep links so you can say here's a url that will you know show you the title page for a particular movie or or watch or search or, or a number of these other different actions but how do you get that intent you know, satisfied for a a a person that has never installed the app first. Um, and so you would think that, you know, you what would first happen is that they would be redirected to the app store, then go to install it. But then the critical thing is, like, how do you then go get the newly installed app to continue with the URL or continue with the intent of the URL? And there used to be different techniques for doing it, the most common of which seems to have been to put things into the pasteboard, and then when your app starts up, it will look for things in the pasteboard um, and, and then execute that. Uh, but starting with iOS 16, Apple did away with that. So you may have noticed, for example, that a lot of times you'll see things where, where for the very first time, you're using the pasteboard in an application. Apple will say, you know, do you do you want to grant permission for application X to read and write to the pasteboard? And part of the reason why they did that is because bad actors would do some pretty atrocious things. <coughs> TikTok, um, and and so that that kind of makes it hard for. This is why the rest of us can't have nice things. <laughs> And so that 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 the inability to do that kind of threw a, a spanner in the works a wrench in the works um uh and so now we're we're you know that, that's caused us to have to rethink some things and um so I don't know have you ever experienced that scating of dealing with like you know deep links for for first time installs um, not
1: recently i i I'm not necessarily uh I'm trying to think if I've done it for the first time in stores. Basically, I've always found any deep linking experience reasonably unpleasant. Um, it's, it, it, I mean, I think it's a the the way we talk about deep linking and whatever else is a little bit of a sense of entitlement because you know the fact you can do it at all and the fact that it works is to some level quite impressive. Um, but then the fact that it doesn't always quite do what you want it to do is a sense of frustration. <laughs> um but no, I don't know. Yeah. I've got no di- i I I've got no real direct um experience. Or, or nothing that I could comment on, you know, or have anything of any value to add to anything you've just said around it, but other than you know, yeah.
0: Yeah, engineering is hard. It is. Well, so you know, one last thing is that, you know, the other option that that people take are, are app clips and I'm I'm very intrigued by those um because it can be a really good experience you may have have noticed in in some place you go to a restaurant for instance and the receipt will have a QR code and the QR code will will launch you know resolve to a web page but that has some markup and says hey for for doing this we have some native code it's like a miniature version of your app um, which then allows people to get functionality very quickly, you know, typically more than can be easily be done in a web page and provides a bridge for, for further installing the app afterwards. Um, and something that Apple's been pushing for a while. Um, so I've started to do, you know, some experience with that with the help of a colleague. Um, and that's a possible approach we might take to to some of these things, to this particular thing that I'm working on or other other cases where, uh, getting people to, to, to you know, use our mobile app for, for whatever, you know, for a variety of different reasons, but if they don't have it installed, that's another possible way of doing it. It, it has its, you know, to do that, it becomes a, much easier to do if your app is very, very well um, uh, uh, partitioned with, you know, uh, code that 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 is you know exists in libraries or resources that can be pulled apart because you know you might have for instance a a library of of assets which are needed which makes sense to bundle you know this rather large library for the full app but if only you need a couple of icons you know how much you do that and so that, that's just a simple example but you know they're they're now more than ever. You know the architecture of your app kind of demands that you you think about these things, and a, usually a forcing function is when you try to build something like an app clip, or you know a chat plugin, you know an iMessage plugin, or any of these other different things, these little bits of apps. And, and Apple has been pushing it for a long time, so it's not you know it's not news to anybody. But the more that your app is 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 Separated in that way, the easier it is to consider these types of experiences um, to so to make just the right code execute in the right time in the right place on whatever platform, whether it's a browser or a watch, an app you know a, a mobile app you know TV app presumably so on and so forth so um, that's been interesting uh, that's a yeah, whole long talk uh,
1: your app your app is always better if you can engineer it from day one. To be, exactly, to dude. be, everything is ever going to need to be, even though you don't want to implement it yet. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, I haven't imagined it. <laughs> welcome, welcome to to life where that doesn't happen. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, it's challenging. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe we should dig into that in, in an episode or two. In in the the time. I mean, we're currently having to implement accounts, you know, user accounts, which we don't currently have within Moneywell. This is in order to support banking. Um, and, and a few other things, and you know that you know when you are, have an app that's never supported user accounts, but now you're going to put user accounts in, and there's lots of stuff in the app that would have been good with user accounts in the past, but they've never been in there. The whole world, do you transition? Do you leave it? You know what does that mean? Yeah, so maybe that's a discussion we can have as well. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But anyway, I should think people are way bored of us by now they yes. just saying, John, please go away again for three weeks so we can have a bit of relief from all this stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so mean.
1: Yeah. So, uh, uh, John, if people want to uh, tell you how much they've enjoyed hearing your voice again, uh, where should they do that? Well, you can find me on
0: Amazon, on Amazon, on Mastodon. <laughs> you on Amazon, yeah. Good, excellent. <laughs> where I'm Jembe at Social. If you're on threads, I'm John Fox um uh, yeah uh twitter i I deleted the the x and the twitter app i i couldn't log in anymore, so if anybody messaged me there it's kind of you know, I have to use the web app uh, to be able to to read dms um so Georg um find me again on on, on Mastodon. And, Scotty, if people want to talk to you and and tell you to, to be nicer to me, where might they do that? Or to tell you to be meaner to me? Maybe I've been coddled too long. Where might they do that?
1: Yes, they can do that at Mastodon as well, am Scotty at developer.social. Well, John, I'm glad you enjoyed your, your little jaunt around the world. And um, thanks for bringing us up to speed on it. We're hopefully back to business as normal uh, next week and we'll just um, talk about the stuff that's got in our week and all the mundaneness that entertains our users on earth. Yeah. So no European travel next week, just the mundane normal. Just the mundane normal. Well, and thanks for listening everyone. Until next
0: time. You take care. Thank uh-huh. you.